coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. A lot to get into on the Tuesday show. The vice president's in town today. We'll try and give you some audio from that. President Biden joins a picket line. And I know you think, oh, man, I'm deal. he's pro No, that's a big deal because no U.S. president has ever joined a union picket line before. So it is sort of a big deal. And by the way, there appears to be in the Trump camp an effort to repair one's reputation with labor or the uh, worker movement in general, the, to, to grab the mantle of being the pro-worker president. <laughs> yeah, we're going to call him to task on that. So uh, we've got that to deal with. Oh my gosh, the mayor of Atlanta, by the way, sent an 11-page response, 11 pages in response to Senator Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock's critique of the city's handling of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center referendum, 11-page response. And you're in luck. I'm not reading it to you. <laughs> I'll have it in today's show notes at ronjoatl.com. But uh, Fair Fight Action's Marissa Pyle actually did a 12-tweet response. We retweeted it at ronshowetl.com. I'll give you some of that uh, in the show a little bit later as well. The big story, however, I, I, and I don't know why, like I see one source on this, and I think it's a bigger story, if not on a local level, the state level for sure, but definitely on the national level. Let's go to Coffee County. That's where Eleven Alive's Nick Wooten is the only one reporting this story that I can find on any search engine. And it's that the Coffee County Election Board chairman has been made to resign after his eligibility was questioned. A 40-point petition filed by the Coalition for Good Governance last week asked for Wendell Stone's resignation. Well, today he resigned. And again, only 11 Alive's Nick Wooten is even reporting on this story right now. And before you go thinking, well, no big deal. This is a small South Georgia county. Remember, Coffee County is the Coffee County of the Coffee County election data breach in 2020. Yeah, that 2020. In fact, joining me to discuss this very story, which I think should be getting more headlines than it's getting, and maybe it will by the end of the night. Rachel Maddow, if you're listening. Uh, Marilyn Marks, the executive director of Coalition for Good Governance. That is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to transparent government and evidence-based elections. Marilyn, first of all, thanks for joining me. Second of all, great work. I'm um, sitting here reading this story from 11 Alive. And while, while I commend Nick Wooten for getting the story out, I almost feel like the story is so long that the lead sort of gets buried in this. And as Susan Greenhalgh uh, was uh, tweeting about this earlier, the bombshells are that he saw videos of people improperly accessing voting machines years ago and did nothing about it, and that he also admitted that he refused to talk to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation about it. Ron, you're absolutely right. Those are bombshells, and I will tell you that some of them are bombshells even to us, and I'm very close to this. I'm as close to this as I think anybody in Georgia and um, we did not know until Nick did that great reporting that, um, that Wendell Stone 
the at that time the vice chair of the board had declined to talk to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And if you think about that, is his role as a public officer, where the public's interest and his his job's interest is to um, to have the full truth come out. For him to decline to talk to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, what does that say? And what does that say about the legal advice he was getting as the vice chairman of the board? And you also said, and this is something of a bombshell, that he did acknowledge that he had seen the video of people in Misty Hampton's office Mm -hmm. at the time that they fired Misty. Um, We had heard that through a reliable grapevine. However, he testified to the very opposite. He testified that he had not seen any such video, um, and he thought thought any such video had been destroyed at the time that he um, testified under oath to... um, in our in our case on September first, twenty twenty two. So yeah, you're right. There's some bombshells here. Yeah, there's a lot of smoke, and there's some obviously uh, there would appear to be some fire underneath all the brush that we're we're we're, we're trying to dive into here. But I want to ask you, what led you and the Coalition for Good Governance to filing a petition to have him removed from office? I mean, you have a forty point list here. Uh, not the least of which, well, I, I say not the least of which, but the first of which is that he was a part-time employee at a, at a local college. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, that is a technical violation of the law that controls the Coffee County Board of Elections. And, you know, we raised that um, not as necessarily the deep substantive reasons that he should be removed from the board. Okay. But because that made it kind of an inarguable exit ramp, there's nothing to argue here. You need to get off the board because you're not allowed to serve. But we were planning to file this petition regardless, even before we were aware of his part-time employment with the state. Well, we filed the petition because there were just so many factors in Wendelstone's leadership of the board mm-hmm. that said that he was obstructing um, the truth. He was he was working to lead against transparency and was doing everything possible to keep the public from knowing what happened during these breaches. Um, the more evidence that we uncovered, the more he obstructed, and the more we knew that he needed to resign. And so we put together this petition, and you know it so happens that he was ineligible all along. So that created, as I said, the um, easy exit ramp, but substantively, because he had done so much to obstruct the transparency that is needed there mm. to find out what happened in these breaches, um, he really needed to resign, and we're very pleased that he did. So what is to keep the next Wendell Stone from emerging as the next chairman in Coffee County, though? I mean, it seems that, again, Misty Hampton, Wendell Stone, it just seems like you peel back one layer and the next layer of the onion smells even worse. Um, Ron, I'm afraid you are, you're very perceptive there. As it turns out, the Board of County Commissioners in Coffee County will be responsible for appointing someone from Commissioner District 5, mm. which is where Mr. Stone lives. The, the person will need to come from that district, 
And the Board of County Commissioners does not have clean hands here. Mm. As it turns out that a quorum of those Board of County Commissioners met in secret and have denied it to this day. Wow. That a quorum of them met to confer on firing Misty Hampton. And we know that there was more to the meeting than just the timesheet issues that are declared to be the reason, her purported reason, Mm -hmm. for being fired. Um, We know the county commissioners were involved in that, and they have lied about their attendance in that meeting, even though there are multiple eyewitnesses. So, obviously, if this issue were not were just timesheet discrepancies, nobody would need to lie about being at a meeting to talk about timesheet discrepancies. Something else is going on. So going back to your question, how do we know that, you know, Mr. Stone's twin is not going to show up <laughs> right. as the as as the next um, election board member? Um, there is certainly no assurance, but I will tell you what the um, citizens are doing, led by the black citizens who are activists in Coffee County. Mm-hmm. They are putting together a petition, already has quite a few signatures, to nominate Mr. Jim Hudson, who lives in District 5, mm-hmm. um, as the replacement. Now, the commissioners don't have to listen to the citizens. They will nominate and appoint whoever they want to. Right. But Mr. Hudson is being promoted by um, by the citizens there. He is a retired county attorney for different county, not for not for Coffee County. Okay. But he's lived in Coffee County for many, many years. Highly respected guy, very interested in elections and highly qualified and very impartial. And I think to have the support of both the black voters and the white community um speaks volumes. Would he be the only African American on the board? He's not an African American. Oh how about that? <laughs> how about that? Okay. How about that? He would be the only attorney on the board. Ah, well, there's and a- <laughs> um, yes, um, and but he has been very, very active, Ron, in um, trying to lead the local voices, and he's done a very effective job. He's led the local voices in opposition to Mr. Stone and the other voices on the board, trying to obstruct the truth. And in fact, given his legal background, what Mr. Hudson did is proposed some months ago that the board have that the board engaged independent counsel to dig into what happened how did the administrative controls fall apart what are the security implications how can we be sure nothing like this happens again and what did this board do to allow this to continue so long he has pushed and pushed with the support of the citizens, primarily initially black citizens, mm. that the the group is growing to to have independent counsel in Mr. Stone and others, not not the full board, but Mr. Stone and others have absolutely opposed having independent counsel investigate. We're with Marilyn Marks, with the co- the executive director, by the way, of the Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, she and her organization filing to have Coffee County's election board chairman, Wendell Stone, resign from office. He did so today. Eleven Alive's Nick Wooten, I, again, by every search engine I've looked on, is the only one even reporting this story, which I find sort of curious in and of itself. Uh, I do have some follow-up questions, because a, a lot of folks may be listening to this show based out of Atlanta and airing nationwide on America One Radio thinking, 
well, what does this have to do on a global or a state level or even on Atlanta scale? And I, I do want to follow up with that. I got to take a quick break. We'll come right back. We'll chat with Marilyn Marks with Coalition for Good Governance on The Ron Show, the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. Like many of you, I grew up in an era where we loathed the good old boy network. And now the right likes to talk about the deep state. But are they guilty of actually being the deep state? Hear me out. We're back with Marilyn Marks, Executive Director, Coalition for Good Governance. Her and her organization filed a week ago to have the Coffee County Election Board Chairman, Wendell Stone, resign from office. He did so today. And you may be asking, well, what does this have to do with state-level politics or maybe on the national level? And I'm going to pose that question to you, Marilyn. I mean, I'm kind of serving up a softball. I know the answer. But help, help me explain to those who are listening why this has a ripple effect at the state and federal level. Right. And as your listeners probably know, the Coffee County breaches that happened um, in January 2021 are the subject of Fonnie Willis's indictment, the mm-hmm. Fulton County DA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, several people have been indicted related to these breaches. The problem is that the full truth has not come out about who permitted these breaches, who was involved in it how far this data went. Why does it affect your listeners everywhere? Mm. This turned out to be the largest voting system breach in the history of the nation. Mm. The information that was extracted from Coffee County under this board's watch was then posted online in what it was, Ron, make sure your listeners know this. Mm. This was not just a little bit of red small rural county data. Mm -hmm. This was the entire voting system software in Georgia. Every single county's software in Georgia was posted online, taken by a lot of Trump allies. They have the software now that can be used to create malware and to disrupt the 2024 election. And Secretary of State Raffensperger and the State Election Board are not doing one thing about it. They say they will address it in 2025. <laughs> yeah, well, in the meanwhile, we have a pretty important election going on before then. Uh, Raffensperger, right. his assistant Gabriel Sterling, uh, both having uh, acted as if this is not something that needs to be dealt with right now. And it screams like a three-alarm fire uh, to anybody else who's paying attention, uh, if, if you ask. Only three alarms? <laughs> I'm, I've got my hair on fire and a five-alarm fire <laughs> about this. And, you know, um, Ron, I know you have a somewhat progressive audience, and I would like to encourage the progressives to raise their voices in concern. They've been afraid to. Mm -hmm. They've been afraid that somehow questioning the voting system security makes some suggestion that people shouldn't have confidence in voting Mm. and that they should just hide their heads in the sand. No, this needs to be addressed in very seriously. Well, I think the thing, the the ripple effect that I have about this, not only does it have an impact, uh, obviously, on the 2024 election, and, and we see it may or could have had an impact on the 2020 election if they'd gotten away with it, but it also makes you question just how deep the rot is uh, at several, not just Coffee County, but several Georgia County elections boards, I, I have to believe that Misty Hampton or Wendell Stone weren't on Mark Meadows' cell phone uh, contact list, for example, <laughs> to you know to be reached out to. But it makes you wonder just how coordinated this machinery is. And it, it you know what, 
I hate to go back and relitigate 2018, but when Stacey Abrams was raising questions about the validity of the outcome of her uh, race against the now governor and former secretary of state of Georgia, it just makes you that much more curious about how long this sort of stuff's been going on and, again, how deep the rot is. Absolutely. And there, you just mentioned so many different subjects there are that are worth their own shows, mm. each of them. Mm. But um, you are so right. That is why our organization, along with virtually all of the cybersecurity experts who know anything about voting systems, are just uniformly and, and unanimously in favor of hand-marked paper ballots, counted by scanners, and then audited. That is the way that 70% of Americans vote. Georgia is way off on this um, electronic, um, unauditable voting system kick. And we can't seem to get Raffensperger and the state election board off of it. And it does create questions that Ron can never be answered mm. because there is just not a trustworthy audit trail. That's why we don't have these kind of incredible lingering questions in most other states, but they are going on and on in Georgia, constant controversy, and that is what we are building into the 2024 election by not settling this. Is there, uh, is there, is there, a, have a, is there, is there a push maybe for expediency and getting results out? I mean, what is, what is the hangup? Well, now, handmarked paper ballots are not even a fraction of a second slower. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the same scanners. They counted exactly the same way. You know, it is actually faster to mark as mm-hmm. a voter. It is faster to mark the ovals than to go through all the machine, you know, craziness. Okay. So, no, it is not anything to do with the time of results. In fact, somebody asked me the other day, well, how did Florida get out their results so fast? Mm. What do they use? They use traditional hand-marked paper ballots counted by scanners, the way 70% of Americans vote. Um, Ron, there's something um, just in- incredibly irrational about uh, the State Election Board and Raffensperger and-, and Governor Kemp's position on this. They purchased a $150 million system that uh, cannot be audited, that cost an extreme amount at the county level to run. And, um, you know, um, it is it, it was a very expensive purchase. And perhaps their, their pride is too much wrapped up in it. I don't know, yeah. but they need to get off of it. There are much simpler, straightforward, verifiable solutions. And that's what we need in Georgia so badly in 2024 is a transparent, verifiable election system. You know, I, I submit to you that if we had had that in 2020 in Georgia, a verifiable system that was transparent in the audits, there may have been a real possibility that January 6th may not have happened hmm. because of the tinderbox that Georgia became you know, Georgia was, was um, kind of headline news constantly, right? Right. right. Uh, all the allegations. And it stirred up the MAGA crowd. And Raffensperger would not, could not be transparent about the system and its data and, you know, all of these um, claims that he made about the audits and recounts, that sort of thing. None of that was transparent enough. 
had there been and had he been willing to actually answer the questions, put everything out in public, had a transparent system, I believe, yes, we would have still had some crazies Mm. that were not going to believe anything. I believe that it would have calmed down the rhetoric to a very great degree. We don't need to be repeating that in 2024. Or at least it would have just pointed the uh, the IR more towards, I don't know, Arizona, I guess, because it took them a long time to get a lot of their results, you know, solidified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, right. And so so I, I think maybe we're both saying the same thing. The, the, the less fuel you can put on the fire, the more fuel you can take away, you know, the less there was a chance yeah. of a January 6th happening. But Georgia became you know, a lot of fuel to put on that fire. Absolutely. All right. Great reporting. Nick Wooten at 11 Alive giving that to us. We'll have that in the show notes at ronchoetl.com. And by the way, the Coalition for Good Governance has uh, given us a link with the petition. You'll, you'll get a whole treasure trove of that in today's show notes as well. Marilyn Marks joining us, the executive director from the Coalition for Good Governance. Thank you so much for your time explaining this out to me today. Well, thank you for having me. Plenty more to cover when we're back for the second half of the Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. When I tell you that Mayor Andre Dickens wrote an 11-page response to Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock's call for transparency in the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility referendum movement, the Cop City Vote Movement, the mayor wrote an 11, 11, I'm going to use E because that's a lot, 11-page response. And you're in luck. I'm not reading that 11-page response to you. (laughs) I will, however, include it in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com. Let me give you uh, some of the highlights, and I'm going to skim through the Riley Bunch article in today's Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Remember, the AJC, owned by Cox Enterprises, the Cox family has donated to the Atlanta Police Foundation. So... I just mentioned that. I mean, they're covering the story, and I think Riley's done a credible job. Uh, Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens hitting back on Monday against top Democrats who criticized how the city has handled the Public Safety Training Center referendum effort, saying the city will support the right of residents to vote. Well, that's news. This quote, We will err on the side of ensuring that Atlanta voters who desire to bring this issue to a vote will have that opportunity. He includes that in this 11-page letter that he sent to Senator Warnock, adding, quote, that uh, he also must safeguard, quote, the integrity of the process. The integrity of the process that he has an outside law firm now muddying up on technicalities while they sit on 11 boxes of 116,000 votes, which are being scanned and will be made published on the World Wide Web's. Uh, Riley Bunch's article continues, in the letter, a response to Warnock's recent demand for more transparency, Dickens defended how the city has navigated the rarely used citizen referendum initiative and said that the process, quote, is difficult because it should only be used in extraordinary circumstances. I think $67 million in taxpayer funds for a facility built outside city limits in a county where the residents who will be living around said facility have no say in whether or not that facility gets to be built there. I think those are pretty extraordinary circumstances. When your opponents are crying environmental racism, 
I think those are pretty extraordinary circumstances, Mr. Mayor. When 116,000 residents, allegedly 116,000 Atlanta residents, sign a petition, not saying they're for or against it, but just want the referendum. 30% of the registered voters in your city say they want to vote on this. I think those are extraordinary circumstances. When you hold public hearings for hours and hours and hours, and what would you say, 97, 98% of those who spoke, spoke in opposition of such a facility that mayor and council have continued to ram through by vote. I think those are extraordinary circumstances. He continues to say, this is not an election, not yet. People are not and have not been asked to vote. We cannot allow people from either end of the political spectrum to conflate this effort with an election. People have spoken. (laughs) Yes, they did in several meetings, sir. But we have a duty to review these petitions and ensure that it is Atlantans who are speaking for Atlanta. Now, remember, by the way, one of the sticking points in this entire, well, do we count these or do we not, and they turn them in two weeks late, is that originally the parameters for the petition were that no non-Atlanta resident could even hold the clipboard and hand the petition to somebody else to get that citizen to sign it. Meaning someone who lived in, I don't know, unincorporated DeKalb County living near the facility couldn't even participate in handing a clipboard with a petition to an Atlanta resident to sign. Well, obviously, that was challenged in court. And initially, a judge said, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. We've, we've done this before in Camden County, and you didn't have to be, as long as you were a resident of the state, you could, and, and so we went with that. And then there was the city deciding to push back on that for inexplicable reasons. I really don't understand why the city wanted to push back on that. But they did, and so they, they want a little bit of a stay. And so now the question is, uh, do we count these or do we not? Because the deadline was pushed back by two weeks by the original uh, decision, and then the stay sent the deadline back two weeks, and they're two weeks late. And so, how, do you, how do you defend this? How do you not see that the city has really muddied this up, has made this a lot less transparent and more murky than it really needed to be, and then have the audacity in an 11-page letter to a civil rights activist icon, a reverend at Ebenezer Baptist Church where Martin Luther King once stood behind the same pulpit and say that you as mayor and the city you preside over will err on the side of ensuring that your city's voters will have that opportunity. I'm kind of gobsmacked. First of all, an 11-page letter, I'm kind of gobsmacked about that. And then to have the audacity to tell the reverend and senator, who is the resident pastor at the same Ebenezer Baptist Church Martin Luther King spoke at, and tell us that you desperately want your citizens to have a say when the citizens have been giving you their say and you and council, well, 11 of the 15 have been ignoring it. 
Back to Riley Bunch's article, Dickens' letter does not reference the legal position the city has taken in court, which is that the referendum process is, quote, invalid, and that regardless of how many signatures are collected, a vote can't overturn the lease with the Atlanta Police Foundation to build a controversial facility. Did I say this yesterday or maybe the day before? What is today? Today's So it had to be yesterday. I firmly believe that even if this referendum gets on a ballot, and even if the citizens overturn the council's vote, I firmly believe the city's going to ignore the results either way. I really do. I firmly believe that they're going to. And then you're going to see the heat turn up from the Reverend Senator Warnock's, the John Ossoff's. And dare I say, maybe even Stacey Abrams. And I only say that because I have to tell you, someone who handles communications for Cop City Vote also handles rapid response for Fair Fight Action. Stacey Abrams' organization, right? Her name is Marissa Pyle. And she gave a 12-tweet thread summation response to the 11-page <laughs> letter that Mayor Andre Dickens sent to Reverend Senator Warnock. I'm going to kind of skim through some of that, too, because I don't want to read the whole thing to you. I, by the way, did share it today uh, via Twitter, X, whatever you're calling it, at ronshowetl.com. Marissa begins, uh, Andre for Atlanta, that's his handle, has responded to Senator Warnock in an 11-page screed that alleges fraud by canvassers, says voter suppression claims are overblown and uses, quote, out-of-state interests arguments to call his own residents liars. Let's do a read-through. She even uses some screen grabs. Mayor Dickens says, last year, 171 people were murdered in the city of Atlanta. 83% were African-American males. The violence that gripped our city for the last few years created fear and uncertainty in the hearts and minds of our neighbors. And the people ask, quote, where is our justice? Where is our safety? Marissa Pyle cited that and then said APD averaged two fatal shootings a year pre-pandemic. They had seven in 2022. She then cites the drop in violent crime in Atlanta, the same drop in violent crime in Atlanta that Mayor Andre Dickens is also championing, if you follow him on Twitter or X, at Andre for Atlanta. Uh, okay. Interesting. She quotes him, people feel safe when they have a secure roof over their heads, which is why I have been a champion of affordable housing. She then also quotes Andre Dickens, the city of Atlanta will return $10 million in unused emergency rental assistance. She quotes him again, people feel safe when they know we are investing in criminal justice reform and non-policing alternatives. And then says, just yesterday, APD made clear they do not intend to release the body camera footage of the murder of a 62-year-old deacon by the name of Johnny Holloman. And by the way, that's a story we will be diving into later this week. She also tweets, we will err on the side of ensuring that Atlanta voters who desire to bring this issue to a vote will have that opportunity. And points out, as I did, Andre Dickens' external counsel arguing to throw out the referendum in court is currently the sole blockade to the petition verification process. Yes, ma'am. Next tweet, she quotes Andre, equating the petition process to voter suppression minimizes actual instances of voter suppression, and then asks... Andre Dickens' administration is fighting for the ability to throw out the signatures of over 116,000 voters. What else should we call it? She quotes him again. Risk of petition fraud is particularly evident when, as has happened here, 
hundreds of thousands of dollars or more are spent by out-of-state interests to influence the process. Meanwhile, Marissa writes, not a peep about the millions from the Atlanta Police Foundation to, quote, build Cop City, and then gives a Forbes article that raises some questions about the many corporations funding the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Let's see, she tweets about the law firm that the city has hired. Uh, Also, hostile voices, this is her quoting Mary Dickens, hostile voices have wrongly conflated signature match used to suppress legitimate mail-in ballot voting with the process of making sure that all signatures on petitions have been made by registered voters. And then says, Marissa's right here, to be clear, matching signatures is the same as signature matching. Next tweet. Reviewers will look to see if size, shape, and orientation of the signature as a whole and particular characters could be that of the elector. I mean, that sounds like signature matching to me. Going to bring you back to a couple of things that I discussed in yesterday's show. And by the way, uh, our guest yesterday was uh, Council Member Keisha Sean Waite. She one of the four city councilmen and women who voted against the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility uh, when it first came up and then in a, in a final vote. I'll get to something she brought up about the personal attacks in just a minute. But I first wanted to go to a segment I did yesterday that talked a bit about the Dallas mayor. Lo and behold, big surprise to no one really in Dallas and Texas politics. The Dallas mayor uh, who runs in a nonpartisan fashion, city council and and the mayor runs in a nonpartisan election in that city, uh, announced that he is a Republican and when he leaves office will be a Republican in whatever next endeavor he's going to run in. I kind of half-jokingly said, would it surprise anyone if Andre Dickens announced that he too is going to either switch parties or announce that he is a Republican in the near future? I half-jokingly said that, but the more more I think about this and the more I see he is aligned with Republican Attorney General Chris Carr, uh, Governor Brian Kemp has broad support for this training facility, specifically where it is from other elected Republicans throughout the state, but now is starting to get mounting pushback from elected and unelected Democrats and liberals and progressives throughout the state. We're all asking, like, what's in this for him? Why? It's so passionate. There are answers that could get him, give him an escape from this Sticky position he's in, where it seems pretty clear that there is mounting opposition, growing opposition to this specific location for that specific facility. Fulton County wants to build a $15 million facility. Atlanta's mostly in Fulton County. Couldn't the city and the county work together on that? At much less than $67 million in Atlanta taxpayer dollars? You would think, but there's a movement that seems bigger than Andre Dickens, or maybe a a goal for Mayor Andre Dickens bigger than what we see now. But also, maybe there's some intimidation involved. I hate to bring that up in some conspiratorial manner. However, as Council Member Keisha Sean Waite said yesterday, The personal attacks that I have experienced, I think, are reflective of what happens when you go against uh, folks who have positions of authority and influence. Mm. And fortunately, my thought is in the minority. 
uh, I don't know who did not see the hundreds of people. I saw maybe three people that day come and speak uh, as a supporter of this initiative. And let me be very clear. I do believe we need uh, a public safety annex. I do. Thank you for saying However, that. I believe that the voters of Atlanta should weigh in given the cost associated. And let me tell you something else that people haven't thought about. Mm. These funds are coming from the general fund, right? These are taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. So don't think that your property taxes are not going to be impacted by a $67 million price tag. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to pick up that checkbook, that check. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the citizens of Atlanta. So I think that, you know, this is another wag the dog attempt to deflect from failed campaign promises and the $67 million that's being asked of the taxpayers. And so, you know, oftentimes people get emotional uh, when it comes uh, time to deliver. And uh, I believe uh, that my focus has been on the citizens of Atlanta in offering solutions of a curfew and offering solutions of cameras uh, in repurposing the Wellstar facility. And, and those are the only things that I have done is advocate uh, for the 116,000 individuals that have been completely disrespected and ignored. Again, I'm no politician. I'm no expert on law enforcement, but there is an off-ramp, the Fulton County off-ramp. And he's not taking it, and I don't understand why. And I'm going to keep asking until I get an answer. 11-page screeds to the senator, don't give us an answer. But it is telling. Final segment of the Ron Show, and before I get to Joe Biden joining a picket line, which I think is, well, it is historic. I'm not going to say I think it's, it is historic. First U.S. president to do so. I want to play some audio from uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Reverend Senator Warnock appearing today. And to douse any notion that Mayor Andre Dickens might be skipping over to the Republican Party, he actually spoke at this event as well with Reverend Senator Warnock and Vice President Kamala Harris. The greeting he got from the Atlanta University campus crowd. Before we continue, 
So the moderator had to say something about respecting the speakers after that smattering of boos that were interspersed with the, what you heard, uh, tepid applause that the mayor got. But he did pitch for the Biden-Harris agenda, so maybe there is no party switch in the offing. Okay. It's no secret there is some concern that maybe the Democratic Party has lost control of the narrative that they are the party of the working class, despite the fact that they tend to advocate more for the middle class and upward mobility as opposed to coddling millionaires and billionaires with tax cuts and corporations as well. In recent years, we've seen Americans approving of labor unions anywhere from 67 to 71% in the last couple of years. But never before in American history has an American president of either party joined a picket line until today. President Biden said we. Now, the presumptive GOP nominee, former President Donald Trump, is trying to recast himself as being for the worker. I mean, he, he, I think he went to the picket line recently and or delivered pizzas, and he's going to visit them at an unsanctioned location, not at the invitation of the United Auto Workers, by the way. I do need to point that out. But back in 2008, when the UAW was making concessions to help the auto industry stave off collapse. Remember that? Here's what Donald Trump thought about unions then. Well, my company is a lot newer. Over the years, we have Christmas bonus time, right? And we've done well. Now, I pay somebody a bonus 20 years ago. Then you give them a little more, a little more, a little more. Now it's 20 years later. All of a sudden, I'm saying, I'm paying them too much. I'm paying them too much. I mean, I'm paying some guys much more than I should be paying. You know why? Time. Same thing with the unions. They get a little increase, they get another, another. What are your guys? 40, 50 give years them a condo, or what do you give them? No, I just give them bonuses. But, you know, I always but like But I know it's not a hickory cheese lot. No, know that. I'm not even talking about top-level people. Okay. I'm talking about you go a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. All of a sudden, 20 years is up, and now you're saying, man, that's a lot of money. I'm sitting behind but my see, desk. But they expect it, right? They expect December it. rolls around, I think Don's going to be good to me. No, it's the same thing with the unions. That's right. They get their little 5%. They get another 2%. They get another 3%, 4%. Then all of a sudden, they're making more money than the people that own the company. I will maintain that unions became unpopular with working class white voters when they started allowing people of color to join the unions and compete for the jobs. And that meant that unions were the enemy to the GOP that was Southern strategizing their way towards electoral dominance with working-class white voters. It's just interesting now to see that we have two presidential candidates from either side of the aisle now who want to embrace the worker, one in reality, the other with a base that really doesn't give a rat's ass where he stands on an actual issue and doesn't 
like you or I, believe anything he says, they're just cult fanatics and they're going to vote for him anyway. And they're not just a chunk of the GOP anymore. Either the GOP has shrunk or more of them are convinced that Donald Trump is the Messiah. 60% in recent polling of Republicans say he's our guy for 2024. And some of these voters are literally trees for chainsaws. <laughs> I want to thank Marilyn Marks for the Coalition for Good Governance for joining us early today. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more. Show notes and more at RonShowATL.com. We'll see you tomorrow.